Good morning. Uh, it is about 10 o'clock here, Friday the 17th, and I am with Adon, who's um, Adon, I'm sorry. Uh, can you can you correctly pronounce your last name for me, please? Yeah, it's, so it's Adon Fanyon. Technically, it'd be Fanyon. Okay. But, you know, if you're American, just say Fanyon. <laughs> it is a French name, though, so okay. technically it's Fanyon. So are you, uh, did, were you born in the U.S., or were you born in France, or are you just of French descent? No, I'm just of French descent, but okay. I was born in the U.S. Okay. Definitely American. Okay. And um, so when I first uh, knew of you, you were, I, you were fronting a, a local band here in Seattle, and I didn't realize how young you were. You're about half my age. I mean, I'm, I'm 50. You're what, around the 24-ish, 25-ish age now, I'm guessing. And uh, so Yeah, 24. Um, how did you are, – are you from the Seattle area by chance, or are you uh, a transplant? Well – I see. I was born in Arizona, okay. but when I was really young, I moved up there, and then we moved back with my family. And I've I've lived in Seattle several points in my life, and then just moved back, um, you know, back and forth, back and forth. Most recently, I moved back wasn't wasn't last December, but the December before. Okay. So um, I think December fifth, twenty eighteen, I moved back to Arizona again. And that was being up there for two years and uh, having some really good experiences. I love the area. But since I was born here, Arizona still always feels like home. Sure. Yeah. Okay. And uh, how about a little bit quick bio on you? You, know, you? you were born in Arizona. You came to um, Seattle, gone back and forth. Um, you know, did you? Um, yeah. So if you don't mind, just a quick bio or a quick rundown of, of who you may be or who you are. So. Sure. Yeah, I can give you the musical version. That'll be great. Um, so. I'm a multi-instrumentalist, songwriter, composer, performer, um, currently based in Arizona. Um, okay. Like I said, I've, I've moved all over and, um, it, I just, I just really happen to like it right now. Um, and over the last seven years or so, I've been lucky enough to play and perform in many different countries, um, with, with a few different bands, uh, doing various tours with, you know, really, really great musicians and, forming some very meaningful relationships with, with top-notch performers and pros and, um, you know, not just musicians, but also industry professionals and, and also just, just normal people abroad. And that's one of the amazing things about tour is you get to meet people in different places who are just awesome, you know, and, and form friendships and form relationships. Um, so, so I've, you know, I've, I've been lucky enough to do a lot of that and constantly writing and starting new music um, making art, making videos, this sort of stuff. And then when I come home and I'm home for a long period of time, uh, in my free time, I've been sharing everything that I learned and everything that I study with, with students too. And so, um, you said you're a multi-instrumental instrumentalist. Um, is there a particular, uh, instrument you're more, you know, favoring or do you, I know you also sing, so do you prefer one or the other, or does it really matter? You just enjoy music in, in a broad spectrum. I mean, just I mean, a lot of people want to play guitar, and that's all they do. And I mean, I know that yeah. when, when I first saw you perform, you were singing and playing guitar, and so I wanted to know what, what if you have a favorite or not. Well, I technically started with well, actually, let me think about that. When I started, I started with banjo. Oh, interesting. That was my first instrument. Okay. Banjo. <laughs> but uh, you can't really play banjo in a metal band. So, I mean, I, I transferred over to guitar probably when I was 
eight or so, I started playing guitar, and I've been playing guitar for pretty much my entire life. I would say for a long time that was my main instrument, and then piano was my secondary. Uh, the last instrument, actually, I, I learned uh, violin in that time, too, and then my last instrument, or most recent instrument, if you'd like, is probably vocals, because I've only been singing since I was a teenager, uh, which, which, which kind of evolved in the way of I was putting together a band. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to be a sort of instrumental frog band. Okay. And my dad said to me, he told me, he's like, you know, you better learn how to sing. Otherwise, you're going to have to put up with a singer, and singers are douchebags. <laughs> and uh, I, was, I was like 15 or something, and I was like, hmm, yeah. That's yeah, actually right. that's some pretty you know, good advice from your right that's some good advice from your father, man. He's he's pretty he sounds <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, saved saved a lot of pain, I guess. But uh, but that's probably my most recent instrument in terms of actually taking it up and trying to develop it seriously. Okay. And although I play all of them, I wouldn't say that there's one that I'm completely dedicated to above all others because I just use them for different things. And when I'm songwriting, I often use them for different things and my chops go up and they go down. If I have to tour with a certain instrument, my chops will go up because I'll just be practicing and grinding and woodshedding at that instrument. But they're all really useful tools in my mind because I can really use them for composition and writing and, and things like that, you know? So last tour you were on, you, you played bass. Is that correct? Yeah, that's true. Okay. I was playing bass and singing uh, for the last few Joseph tours. Okay. Uh, what are some of your influences, if you can name name a few right off the top of your head? Oh, musically? Yeah, musically. I would say... Or, or even artistically, because I know that you, lately you've been, I've been... I'm a part of your newsletter, and so I've been getting you know your newsletters with some of your art pieces in it and some of your videos. So I just want to kind of pick your brain as to what motivates you to keep creating. Oh, yeah, thanks. Thank you. Uh, well, a lot of influences... I would say we're, we're a little more experimental. And the time I was growing up, I couldn't find anyone whose musical interests were exactly the same as mine because mm-hmm. I was exposed to a lot of really weird music, you know, even like Frank Zappa, Mr. Bungle, um, Secret Chiefs, like, like L.A. avant-garde music. Mm-hmm. And I was exposed to a lot of this when I was growing up, and I just thought it was the coolest thing. One of my favorite bands of all time, hands down, it's hard to it's hard to find another band of them for whatever reason, but they're called Sleepy Time Gorilla Museum, and they're just such an such an amazing band. When I was growing up, I would listen to them, and they would just blow my mind every single time. And to this day, their albums are just some of my favorite music because they're so experimental and weird. So I listen to a lot of a lot of those things that are very outside mm-hmm. outside the box, so to speak, um, and over the last few years, I would say I've been opening my mind to music that's a little more consonant and less experimental, mm-hmm. more mainstream or whatever. And there are plenty of musicians who have influenced me from that sphere as well. My favorite vocalist growing up was Dio, definitely Dio, because every time I heard Dio's voice, I just thought, wow, it's so powerful. Why is everyone else's voice so so thin, right. you know, and I was really picky with vocals. Like I remember being a little kid mm-hmm. when I was 10 or 12, I would mainly tune out vocals. I would just listen to the music and I just wouldn't even really listen to the vocals. Didn't really care about the lyrics or anything either, but certain singers like Dio 
mm-hmm. and Chris Cornell, um, you know, people like that. I, I would listen to them and just be like, wow, their voices. Yeah. But, um, you know, I have, I have a lot of influence from all over the place and I keep my, I keep my mind open to, you know, in the last few years that I started to get into dubstep a lot. Okay. Um, I would say infected mushroom is a big influence in that electronic music kind of thing because I've been studying their production a lot and you know those guys are insane. Um, also, as far as vocalists, I'll say uh, Peter Gabriel is another really big influence of mine because he is an example of someone who's from a somewhat obscure prog band at the time. Like when he was in Genesis, they were pretty right. obscure. And then once he left, he kind of created this weird almost pop music but still outside the box kind of kind of project mm-hmm. you know so really all over the place so is the the magic mushroom is that another musical project that you're working on or is that just what a, is that? So um, the, infected mushroom i'm sorry Infected mushroom. Yes, that's right. I'm sorry. So, is infected mushroom? Is that a a side project, or is that a musical project, or is that just like a like a a name? So, infected mushroom is an EDM band. They're they're EDM producers. It's two two guys in based out of Israel. Okay, and their music is really intense. So, I did a cover of one of their songs recently, and it was ten minutes long. Right, so it was fairly ambitious. But yeah, because like, damn it, we're gonna do the whole thing. And we recorded the entire thing from scratch. And there were like 160 tracks in this project by the wow. time I was done with it. But, yeah, because you, um, you you did like a like a musical video for it, or you sent it out. Is that correct? Yeah, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah, I played, I played the whole thing. That took some time too. <laughs> and I had uh, my friend Matan Schmueli. I had him play on it too. I asked him if he would do it, and he was like, "Sure, man." And nice. then he played the intro part perfectly. That's awesome. Has uh has so, has infected? Have you gotten or have you heard from Infected Mushroom? Or are they have you like hey check this out and or have nothing yet? Yeah, they shared it on their Facebook, which is really cool. That's very cool. That's really cool. Yeah, when I did when they did that, I was like, oh yes. <laughs> you know, I was hoping I was hoping that would happen in the back of my mind, but I didn't know if it was you know actually a possibility. Gotcha. Um, of course, there's many, many things like that that can happen. I just leave my mind open for it. Sure. You know, no expectations. Cause, but, you know, plenty of people, I mean, I've been very, very lucky, just overall very fortunate um, for all the experiences I've had. So, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful that they shared it, too. It was very cool. And uh, do you have any, like, highlights in your musical career that stand out, whether, you know, with, with your last band that you were in or just in general? I mean, just... I'm sure you talked about touring, going to different countries. You know, I also know that you were on some festivals. You know, I just I'm trying. I'm just trying to understand. You know, I I kind of you know I'm always, I I'm in the photo pit for some shows, and it's kind of cool being up front and seeing how the bands and the fans interact. I just want to know what it's like being yeah. on, on that stage in front of people who are there to check out what you've created with your friends. So. Yeah, well it's really hard to describe. It's such an amazing experience in so many respects. Mm-hmm. And some of the highlights, I mean, so many of the, so many of the festivals that I was able to play were just so incredible for the, the personal connection. I mean, just getting to meet people and make friends with people. 
you know, because sometimes you have, sometimes you form relationships with people right. that you can't exactly anticipate. And when they happen, they're just very, very meaningful. Mm-hmm. And there's something special about it. Playing something like 70,000 tons, which I, I've been fortunate enough to play twice. Mm-hmm. Um, it's such a crazy experience because you're on this cruise ship full of metalheads and everyone's a metalhead. And it's just, it's absurd. Like how does this even happen? It's preposterous. <laughs> like something out of a out of a dream world. Yeah, who um, who would have guessed? You know, fifteen years ago that a bunch of people would just pack onto a cruise ship for a week and just rock out with all their favorite bands. Go figure. Oh yeah, and there's and, and, the, and there's so many of them now too. Yeah, it's it's true. It's a really great thing, and it turns out there's a market for that. You know, mm-hmm. even though heavy metal is not necessarily mainstream to you that. So I would I'd like, on that note, I would also say another highlight was um, touring Europe with Psychotic Waltz. We did we did Germany and the Netherlands. And it wasn't a very long run, but wow, it was an eye-opener because just those are just some incredible places for heavy metal music and for music in general. Mm-hmm. Even getting to see parts of Berlin, like the, the, the rehearsal space that we were using at the time, which mm-hmm. um, I believe was under the uh, Berlin Institute of Music or something like that, at the, the music college. Okay. And it was part rehearsal space, part cafe, part music store, and then part college. And it was really, really neat. Um, and, you know, just those cities in general, there's, there's a lot of eye-opening experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, but even, even after all of the somewhat nice, posh experiences, and you know, by no means are they are they really posh, but they're fairly posh. I don't know if that's even the right word. I just mean you know, like elegant and easy. Sure. Um, I would say, I would say the highlight in my mind, the biggest highlight in my mind, was <laughs> was touring the entire United States and Canada in a Jeep Wrangler. That was probably the the highlight of my life because that was one of the most difficult things. Sure, I think I've ever done. Just just physically demanding, and that's the complete opposite of a nice tour. You know, sure. we didn't have a bus, we didn't have a van, but we did the entire U.S. and Canada for a month in a cheap Wrangler. Kind of sounds uh, kind of sounds similar to the whole Slayer and their Camaro first tour that they did. <laughs> <laughs> That was probably equally as challenging because a Jeep Wrangler is not made for comfort. Right. <laughs> and you can't even sleep in a Jeep Wrangler. And some really interesting things happen when you have that many people that are crammed into a Jeep Wrangler. Because let's see, I think we had we had four people mm-hmm. on that tour. Wait, did we? Yeah, we had four people on that tour. Uh, we also we had Charlie Honig with us. Mm-hmm. Playing, playing guitar, and oh wait, no, he was playing bass, and then I was playing guitar on that tour. Um, but some interesting things happen because it's a five seater, and you have four people. So the fifth seat is just that one little divide between you and the other person, right? And you start to get strangely territorial, and it becomes like this is my seat, this is my little cubby over here, this little issue box and you know you start to develop these sort of territorial instincts because you're living in this jeep everyone's stressed out right no one's sleeping i went several days 
I think I went four days without sleeping more than two hours. And I started seeing things like people talk about when you're really sleep deprived, they talk mm-hmm. about shadow people and all this mm-hmm. sort of stuff. Uh, it was like that. I would see these, I would, I was getting so delirious that I would see these sort of blurry shadow people out of the corner of my eyes. And it's like accompanied by this release of adrenaline. And you're just like, what is that? Yep. What is that? You know? Yep. And you get this falling sensation all the time. Like the vertigo that constantly happens. Yep. And, uh, you're just constantly on edge. It was a very, very difficult experience. And I'm not a partier either. Like I don't party on tour at all. I don't drink either. I think this entire year, or let's, let's say last year, I think, Last year, I probably had less than five beers. Um, I don't really drink at all. So it wasn't that I was just staying up late and partying or whatever. It was just a circumstance. Yeah, it's just sleep. Cheap Wrangler. Yeah, sleep-induced delirium. You know, just, uh, yeah, I know, exactly oh, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about because I used to be in bands in the 80s and 90s, and we would go play between Los Angeles and San Francisco, and I'd be driving on I-5 and super tired. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm seeing some kid in a big wheel fly by me in the middle of the night. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> wow, so, what, kind of, what kind of music? Uh, it was mostly thrash. This was back in the, the height of the whole thrash oh, era. Cool. Yeah, so it was fun back then. And, and that's one of the reasons why I got into concert photography because I figured, well, I'm not playing now and I still enjoy being up front and I enjoy interacting with musicians and fans. So I'll just do photography. It's at least it's still a part of the music industry and I'm still creating art so it's always been yeah yeah, yeah that's a really cool direction to go too yeah and, and and it's led and it's opened up other opportunities for me as well so i mean i'm really happy i decided to do that and um and a lot of yeah. it uh, you know i i played uh played up until 97 i believe i was i was in the military and the last band i was in was in south carolina and then i came back home and one of my kids got sick and I had to sell my musical gear to help pay for some medical bills. And I told myself one day I'll play again. And it's been, you know, 20 years, no, not 20, but 18 years or so. And yeah, and do you miss I, it all? I, I do. I really, really do. Um, at one day at work, I was talking to my buddy, Chris, who he plays band and he plays in a band in Seattle called uh, common law cabin. And he's a bass player. And, and we were talking about basses and he's, he's a fender, he's a fender guy. He loves, he loves his P bass and he loves his fender based, uh, you know, his four by twelves. And I'm like, yeah, I used to, uh, I've been as five SR 500 with the Marshall, you know, cabinet. And he's like, are you going to play again? And I also do Brazilian jujitsu. And I'm like, yeah, when I get my black belt, I'll think about playing again. And I got my, <laughs> I got my black belt like three or four years later. And he's like, are you going to start playing again? And I'm like, oh, dude, come on. No. Oh but, wow, that's cool! Wait, so you have a black belt in jujitsu? I do, yes. Man, that's awesome! I love jujitsu. Yeah, I it, haven't done it for very long. Mm-hmm. I was I was doing jujitsu while I was up in Seattle. Okay, um, but it's it's so much fun. It's something I definitely want to get back into. The only thing that worries me about it a little bit mm-hmm. is the uh, high rate of finger injuries mm-hmm. from grabbing onto geese and yeah, for sure, and wrestling with people. Because you're always putting strain on your on your fingers, right? Yeah, my fingers. Do you ever have any issues with that? Um, my my fingers get sore because I, I used to also work in IT, so there'd be times I would typing away and you, you could just feel. Uh-huh. But it doesn't get too bad. And luckily, I haven't broken any fingers. I haven't had any really major injuries. I've been training since 2005, so I'm pretty fortunate. Um, but I'm also really smart. Wow. I'm also really smart to know, like tap early, tap often. Some guys have an ego and they don't want to tap, so they get hurt pretty quickly and they get hurt often. And so, uh, yeah, 
that's always that's always in the back of my mind. But um, but recently with this whole uh, stay at home and play stuff, I just I've been reevaluating uh, getting back into playing again. And so I think once all this is lifted, I'm gonna start going out and looking for, looking for gear and hopefully start playing again. And even if it's just playing in the living room or whatever, just I, I do miss strumming. So yeah, well that's awesome, man. That's really cool. I hope that you get back into it too because it, it sounds like it would be really meaningful for you. Yeah, it, 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 it would be because I'm, I played clarinet in grade school and because I wanted to kind of like segue into saxophone. And then my my parents sent me to a private school where they didn't have a musical program. And then when I got into junior college, they had a jazz band. And I'm like, oh, this will be a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> and so, so I'm thinking, well, guitar players are a dime a dozen. There are hardly any bass players. And so I joined the jazz band as a bass player. And then the instructor goes, do you know how to read bass clef? I'm like, no, but just tell me what key it's in and I'll figure it out. And so, luckily, I knew yeah. enough. I knew enough to, uh, the, of the the blue scale to to fake it, so to speak. And so, I made it, <laughs> I made it the first seat in the jazz band. So I was pretty happy about that. So, yeah, yeah, that can be really beneficial too. That's another thing that I was fortunate to do. It, again, it was my father's recommendation mm-hmm. that I do it. But that was the second year of high school. I was in a jazz band playing piano. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was super shy about it at the time. I really didn't want to mess up the chords. Sure. And I didn't realize that that's what jazz is in the first place. Right. It really isn't in course. You kind of have to mess them up a little bit. But that's a, that's a great um, growth experience, I think, for any musician in any genre right. is, is jazz. And there's actually one person out there besides my buddy Chris who actually kind of reignited my passion for playing music. I I took my son Zachary over to Guitar Center in Tukwila because he wanted to play guitar. And I didn't I didn't know of any of the local shops here at the time because we just moved here from California. And we walk in and I see this guy who was behind the sales counter, a little little short guy, black hair, you know, dark skin, bunch of tattoos and got to talking and bought my bought the gear and I'm like, Hey, you know, you look really familiar. Are you in a band? He's like, yeah, my name is so-and-so and I play in a band called uh, Aiden and you may have heard of us. I'm like, yeah, I've heard of you guys. That's awesome. So here's this guy, Angel, the guitar player from Aiden who's toured, you know, just like a, as much as you have and been to places you've probably been to also and could work in a guitar center. Now he's not in the band anymore, but he's selling mortgages now for bank of America. But you know, it's kind of cool that you can just run into an everyday musician who's put out albums and toured and they're still down to earth. So, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And it's good to have those kinds of people in your life that help inspire you too. You know, I try to keep that in perspective when I'm around certain friends and stuff, you know, because I, because as I mentioned before, I, uh, I've been teaching in my free time as a, as a source of monetary income, you know, Mm -hmm. And it's a meaningful thing because you can share with other people the things that you've learned and you can help, hopefully you can help to inspire them in ways that they might not have otherwise been inspired right. on their own, you know? Um, and that's, that's, basically, that's basically what makes it meaningful. The only case in which that doesn't happen is if you're teaching, say, someone who's doing it out of some obligation, mm-hmm. such as a little kid whose parents are forcing them to take music lessons or even an adult who thinks he should take music lessons, but he has no passion for it. Right. So, I mean, those are, those are both basically the same thing where they don't really want to do it, but they have this overwhelming sense of obligation that they should. And, uh, but aside from those cases, it can, it can be a very meaningful thing. And to have friends around you who can help inspire you and, and bring 
those things out of you is really important too. Yeah, for sure. And the, the one thing I noticed about the Seattle scene and, and almost any scene that I've been to that a lot of the musicians are, you know, they're, though they're hungry and they're striving to be that next band, so to speak, all of them are still very humble and they still love to interact with the people who are showing up to their shows and supporting them. The one thing that I liked about the last band that you were in, every time I ordered some of your merchandise or I ordered some of your music, you guys would always take the extra special um, effort to either throw in some little pieces of swag like guitar picks or stickers. And you'd also write personalized little notes. I remember I got the the Delirium CD and someone wrote in, or some t-shirts actually, and someone wrote, hey Mike, thanks for your order and keep taking great pictures. And I thought, wow, that's a, that's a really cool touch. So, Yeah, well, thank you for noticing that. Those are the kinds of things that I wonder if people notice them, but you know, we would take the time to do that. And I think even with the stuff I'm doing now, I'll take the time to, to do that as well because it does mean a lot when someone enjoys the music and art that you create. Yeah, and you know? I remember the first time I saw you play live, it was at Studio 7 and you took the band took time out to stay at the merch table and and basically thank everybody who showed up and got and took an and wanted to take a picture or get your autograph and at that time, that was the first time I had heard of the band, and I was covering it for Seattle Music Insider. They're, you guys were doing the video shoot that night, so it was a pretty big evening for you guys, and um, it was big for me and my son as well, because I was like his first concert back from having cancer treatments, and you guys got to hang out with him, and he got to hang out with you guys, and it, and it was really, it was, it was awesome, and everybody was just so nice, and I wish more bands were like that. Yeah. Well, well, thank you for that, and thank you for noticing too. And so, um, are there any um, music other, aside from teaching and and doing some of the, the like the artwork that you've been sending out? Is there any other musical acts or projects you're working on other than the the cover stuff that you've done and recently sent out? Or are you looking at are you in any other bands at the moment? Well, so I'm not looking for a band right now. I'm trying to basically build a solo thing. And okay. the reason why is because I really want to do whatever I want to do all the time. Sure. And I don't want someone else to tell me I can't because it's, it's really, it can limit your creativity. If someone else tells you, you can't do something or someone else tells you not to do something. You sure. know? And that could even be the case for a manager or a label too. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm always cautious about getting involved. Like some people have reached out to me, managers have reached out to me. Um, and you know, people have talked about, uh, label deals and whatever. I'm thinking, ah, you know, then you have all these moving parts and you have to, you have to deal with all the dysfunction right. that goes with that. And there's dysfunction in all, in every, every step of those relationships. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things about, the creative process is like, for instance, being able to do whatever I want, I might be like, you know what? I want this song to sound a little bit electronic. And then I want to throw real violins on here. And then I want to do, you know, 40 vocal tracks and do this and do that. And I'm just experimenting and I'm just trying to make something new. But sometimes when you join a band, mm -hmm. someone will be like, you know, Hey, that, you know, that riff's too weird, man. You gotta look, just, we need to dial back a little bit or or whatever, you know? And it's like, why? Why is it too weird? Because your mind's not open? Because you don't want to experiment a little bit, you know? Sure. And and that's, that's the thing, because like I said, well, I grew up listening to really, really weird music. 
Mm-hmm. And now I'm trying to find that balance between making things that are really strange and different, but still accessible for people sure. to a large degree. Um, so I'm trying to find that balance. And the reason why I'm focusing on this solo thing is because I want to be able to create and release whatever I want at any given time and, and write with whoever I want to and not uh-huh. be confined to, you know, the expectations that, that other people have. Um, so I've been releasing songs. This month has been extremely productive, like this coronavirus vacation thing that we're all taking. Right. I've been loving it because it's, it's been extremely productive. I've been home. I'm working more because a lot of people are reaching out for lessons and um, I've been able to collaborate with a lot of musicians all over the place. So writing a lot of music, releasing new music, releasing new original music. Um, and I usually do some covers too, just for fun, but mm-hmm. I have almost enough for an album. And what I'm kind of doing is I'm releasing all of these singles that they're not pre-production, but they're kind of, you know, in the midst of production. So okay. they're not completely perfect, but they're like 90%. I digitally distribute them. I usually give them away for free to people on my website in exchange for their email address so that we can stay in contact and stuff. Sure. And what I'm probably going to do is get enough of these singles uh, to make an album or maybe two albums because I'm almost to that point, I think. And then I'm going to try to do a full-length EP, and I haven't decided if I'm going to um, crowdfund it or not, but I would really like to press some vinyl records. Gotcha. uh, Because I'm a huge fan of vinyl records, Mm -hmm. and even if you don't listen to them, they just look and feel so cool, and you can have this booklet with artwork and stuff, and I have all these these pieces of artwork that my sister has been painting, Mm -hmm. because she's a very talented, skilled artist. So, um, basically, I'm, I'm releasing singles until the singles make an EP, and then I'm going to make an EP out of all of these singles. And um, I've also been experimenting a lot with the videos I'm making and the directing and everything. Um, been putting a lot of work into some of them. Like, last November, I think it was November, I released this video for Lovely to Death, mm-hmm. uh, which was, was a single I released. And I spent about a month making it. And the budget was only about probably a hundred bucks between gas money and uh-huh. liquid latex and, uh, you know, the, whatever, whatever else I bought. Sure. I don't know, extension cords. Um, but I spent like a month doing it and I'm really proud of how it turned out. It turned out really well. And I just, um, you know, scripted out all the scenes, drew up the vision, drew up the concept, uh-huh. storyboarded it, had an actress involved. And then I, uh, asked my sister to help film it because my sister, being a good visual artist, also has a good eye for camera angles. Okay. Um, so just just building all of these ideas and building all these artistic pieces, that's the main thing. Uh-huh. And the other thing I'm, I'm doing as well is I'm diversifying the way in which I connect with people because I've noticed lately, over the last few years, especially Facebook, Instagram, and these social medias have started to filter out a lot of information. Right. Um, especially if it takes you away from Facebook. So anytime I do a YouTube video or anything like that, it'll kind of suppress the post. Mm-hmm. And even though there might be say like 800 people who might want to see it, um, only five people, the same five people are going to see it. 
Yeah, it just gets so, gets buried in there somewhere. And yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and I think there's people who have kind of demonstrated the way the algorithms are working and everything. Right. Um, so it's it's a little bit disappointing because back when I joined GoShip, it was not that way. Right. The people that subscribed to your page and the people that followed you wanted to see what you posted and would see what you posted. But now you have to pay for a fraction of those people to see it. Yeah, and that, um, yeah, it sucks you have to pay to boost a post in order to get it out to the five people who may be looking at you anyway. So. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The people who would want to see it. Right. So, I mean, I, that's why I'm giving everything away for free and um, just taking people's email addresses. But I figure the people who will take my music for free are the people who are interested in what I'm making. And I can stay in touch with them if I actually have their emails. Um, and then there's no middleman saying, uh uh uh, give us money. Right, exactly. So I've been doing that, and this week, especially, I've been getting into live streaming. I think I've streamed for like 20 hours this week. Wow, that's um, incredible. Yeah, I've just I've just basically been writing songs live on Twitch and talking to people in the audience. And, you know, it's a humble audience right now, but it's a lot of fun, and it's something that I would be doing anyways, which is sure. writing music. Right. So, you know, just inviting other people to join me. We already finished one song. Um, which I submitted for digital distro too. So that's going to be digitally distributed in, mm-hmm. in the next few days here. It'll be available. Um, but I finished and wrote that one entirely on live stream. It's going to be called burn it down. And uh, it's pretty heavy Kind of weird combines a lot of those electronic elements, but also a lot of the metal elements too. Um, and some jazzy elements as well. So mm-hmm. that one's going to be, that one's going to be pretty fun. So, just diversifying, you know, trying to stay in touch with people um, through this whole thing because I think it's important and um, and then trying to build this solo project as well. And I do have quite a vision for the live performance. Okay. Um, it hasn't come together yet, but I'm going to basically synchronize the music with the light show mm-hmm. because I used to program the lights and do the light show for Gocha Octavius. Okay. Um, and so the, the music's going to be synchronized with the live show, and I'm also going to try and have dancers, contemporary dancers involved as well, kind of enacting parts of the of the songs and parts of the performance. Um, so it's been it's been a little bit tricky to find the talent that I need. So I am auditioning for dancers, and if anyone listening to this knows any dancers who might be interested in auditioning for the project. Um, it's not going to be for a while, obviously, until sure. we perform live. But, um, but you know, they, you can feel free to reach out and submit something if that's the case. So, yeah. If you hadn't pursued music, uh, what were some of your goals and aspirations as you were growing up? If it, if it were not music in any way, if it were no way related to music, right. it Say, would either be it would, or even something that's not artistic, anything in general. I mean, like, for example, like some, some people are like, Oh, if it wasn't for the fact I was playing guitar, I'd probably be, you know, stuck in a lab doing whatever, or I'd work in a warehouse or these, these are the goals that I had. Like I wanted to be a baseball player, you know, just, did you have any like dreams when you were in grade school? Like, Oh, one day I would like to do this or. Well, I really always loved certain aspects of science Mm -hmm. when I was growing up and my grandfather, both of my grandfather's, had engineering minds. Um, 
And I remember one of my grandfathers, I would go into his shed when I was a kid, and there would be all these guitars and amplifiers and and um, things that he was building, you know, he would assemble these things. Uh-huh. Um, and when I was a kid, I had these little breadboards with little electronic components that I would connect together and, you know, make things light up or sometimes just light things on fire, um, <laughs> things like that. But I, I was always really fascinated by um, electrical science, uh-huh. and I've also studied um, programming a bit as well, and those are, those are both things that were kind of fun for me um but it would it would definitely be in a creative aspect and not in a working for someone else aspect because the thing that i found about about myself is i have a very hard time working for someone else um and that's why that's why i tried not to you know fall into those kinds of um corporate situations when i can when i can avoid it so it would probably be something like that, like some element of science or electrical engineering. Um, but there were also other things that I that I would do when I was younger. I mean, um, I did a lot of animation. I did 2D animation. Mm-hmm. I did some 3D animation. I did 3D modeling and stuff, and of course, video editing and all of those things too. So nice. There's definitely other things that that would have interested me, but I've just invested so much of my uh, inspiration into into music at this point and learning it too. That uh, it's hard to it's hard to separate from that, you know. Understood, understood. Are are we okay talking a little bit about Ghost Ship Octavius? I mean, um, don't yeah, want sure. Okay, so. I first heard of Ghost Ship uh, just through the buzz on the Seattle scene. And so I, uh, when I heard that you were playing at Studio 7, that was one of the first shows I covered for Seattle Music Insider. And as I said earlier, that was the show where you guys filmed the video for In Dreams. And I, first not having ever heard the band, I was blown away. It was, I was... I, I couldn't believe what I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing or hearing. It was amazing, and you had Parker from Queensrÿche that night playing guitar for you guys. And then I bought this I bought the CD because you had it available at the merch table. Everybody signed in. I looked at the notes, and it said you had a whole revolving door, so to speak, of all these local musicians who played on the like Jeff from Arch Enemy, who was. Um, he's a stable on the Seattle music scene, and and I just wanted to know how did you hook up with the guys and, and gals in go ship yeah well first of all thank you um and and secondly you know i was pretty lucky it was just kind of right place right time mm-hmm. i mean not even necessarily right place but right time because i was 17 um and i was in spokane washington mm-hmm. where i was looking at the time i'm sure you know where that is but yes. for anyone who doesn't it's kind of on the border of washington idaho so right um so I was living there at the time, and uh, I was obsessively practicing vocals, and I mean obsessively, because I would spend easily eight hours a day, every single day singing, and I would sing to the point where I would get hiccups, and I, like uncontrollable hiccups, and then I couldn't sing for a period of time, and then I would go back and do it again. Mm-hmm. And I was just obsessively singing and recording and singing and recording, and I knew about Nevermore. Uh, when I was maybe... 14, my uncle gave us a Nevermore album, and it was their last one before they disbanded. Nice. And my dad wasn't necessarily a fan of them, but he would play it in the car. Mm-hmm. 
And I was like, wow, this is really cool. I, I even like the vocals. Like, I thought the vocals were cool. Uh, I really like the guitar work, you know. Of course, I really like the drums. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was very impressed by it. But what happened was I was 17. A friend of mine who was really big into all the metal news sites and stuff, mm-hmm. him and I were really good friends. Uh, we still are. I just talked to him last week mm-hmm. on the phone. Um, he hit me up. I see. I ended up. I, I met him on Craigslist when we were putting a band together when we were kids. But okay. since then, we shared a lot of musical taste. And he hit me up, and he's like, "Hey, man, uh, I don't know if you heard, but this band Armageddon is auditioning vocalists, um, and it's Chris Amon from Arch Enemy and Van from Nevermore. And I think you should try it." So I was like, "Huh, that sounds interesting." So I went, and there was a blabbermouth post, mm-hmm. and sure enough, it was it was. It was Chris Amont and Dan Williams and Matthew Whitland and Sarah Claudius. Mm-hmm. Those were the, the members of the band at the time. And they were auditioning vocalists. So what I did was I went and I took an old Armageddon song mm-hmm. and I threw vocals on it. It was instrumental, but I threw vocals on it. And they loved it and they were like, oh, okay, cool. Try singing this, try singing this. And it was kind of funny because at the time they started sending me these demos and they wanted me to sing the lyrics that they wrote. Mm-hmm. And this isn't to talk bad about their lyrics, but their lyrics were, they were questionable. Uh, one of them, one of the songs was about bumblebees. Okay. And I was kind of surprised because I was expecting something like really brutal and heavy, but it was more like this melodic metal thing. Mm-hmm. So I was like, huh, okay. So I was throwing vocals on these songs and we just started sharing files and going back and forth and stuff. And then eventually I was like, hey, uh, let me just try to write lyrics for this one because uh, I don't know about it. And then, you know, I ended up writing lyrics for it. Um, somewhere along the lines there, Chris Amont left. Mm-hmm. He decided he wanted to he decided he wanted to do something else. He wasn't really into it. I don't know entirely why because, honestly, he didn't talk to me about it. Okay. He just He just talked to the other guys and he left. Actually, he didn't talk to anybody except for Matthew. Okay. Left, okay. If I remember correctly. Um, and I didn't talk to him until years later when we played in Brooklyn, I think. Um, so so he, he kind of split. And then after that, we continued to work together. We got back to the bands playing bass. And we put together an album, put together a record, and then put together this Kickstarter video funded the album because we were turned down by every single mm-hmm. record label mm-hmm. that we reached out to. Uh, and then we, we put together this Kickstarter. I remember I filmed it in Spokane at the time. Mm-hmm. And I had this little pocket bike and it was snowing. It was winter and put together all these scenes and everything. Is that the, so, Sat- is that the Saturn and Skies video? That was, yeah, that was also in Spokane. Okay. That was, that was Spokane too. But I mean, we did a Kickstarter video to kind of promote that first record. Right. Gotcha. So, and then that's how, that's kind of how we did it. And we kept with the Kickstarter model. Um, and things just kind of organically developed from there. I ended up moving to Arizona from Spokane. Mm-hmm. And then a few years later, I moved to Seattle again. So yeah, we were just working together at that time. Dan was living in New York. So we would send files back and forth. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's kind of how it developed. And so uh, the first album came out and complete, it was awesome. Just from beginning to end, just non-boring music. It was great. 
Second album comes out. Um, I did the pre-purchase on it, so I was lucky to get it before you mass distributed it. And so put it on expecting, because you know, a lot of bands, they'll have the sophomore jinx or they'll put out a rehash of the previous album. I put on Delirium expecting kind of like a part two of the first album. And though it was 100% GSO, it was not the same record at all. Not that it's a bad thing. It was a great thing. Delirium in my opinion, was way better than the first album. Both albums are great. The thing that really disappointed me was that GSO didn't get big as I had hoped they were going to. They are. I, I'm not saying this because I'm talking to you. And I'm not saying this because I'm uh, as I'm. I don't want to make it sound like I'm kissing your ass, but GSO is definitely one of my favorite bands. And every time people ask, "Hey, can you uh, recommend a band I should listen to?" I'm like, yes, go find Ghost Ship Octavius and. You know, my son Zach loves you guys. We we still order merchandise, and it's I can't say enough good things about the band because every time I've seen you guys live, I think I've seen GSO five or six times now um, prior to you departing, and every time it's it's a great show, and and it must feel good to know that you have the fan base that are going to support you regardless as to what you're doing, and always giving you positive feedback on something you've created. Yeah, well, thank you for that. I mean, I, we really did have a lot going for us. It was a great, I mean, we put together some great music, some really good music. Um, so I appreciate hearing that. And I'm very proud of both records. As well as you should be, because they're, they're both incredible. And then the production on them, you hear some major label bands or, or bands are like on, you know, nuclear blast or combat or whomever is out there roadrunner you get their album and you think okay they must have a pretty decent budget and you listen to the production on it though the songs are great the production isn't as polished and here you guys are you know a local band probably not with a very big budget at all and you kickstart it and we get these albums and it's like wow this sounds incredible yeah, yeah they really did sound great and a lot of that was due to aaron smith uh, Aaron Smith, we were really fortunate to work out mm -hmm. uh, with him. And he worked with Jeff Loomis, so he was a contact through Jeff. And um, he's a really good producer. I'm also very fortunate because when I moved to Seattle, I lived with Aaron. And um, when I lived with him, I would kind of see how, how he did his production stuff, too. And he mm -hmm. just has golden ears. That's the term, like golden ears, you know. He hears everything, and he hears the way it should be, and he hears what sounds good mm -hmm. instantly. And what was it like? So uh, really, really talented producer. What was it like doing the Edge of Time video? I mean, that's a that's a trippy video. I mean, just all bluish and the, the way Over that Edge of Time. Yes. Well, thanks. Um, so, two there were two hands in that one. Okay. Um, I did the the live scenes where we were playing through. I put together basically this circle of lights and these were these were all these led lights at the time when i was living in seattle i was working for a tech company mm -hmm. um and they did audio visual stuff and i was you know luckily they let me borrow some lights they're like oh yeah go ahead borrow them so i took these lights brought them over to the shoot and just laid them out in a circle mm -hmm. this was at mob studios in seattle okay um and we had we had um two videographers uh who were capturing the shots with drones going up and down and stuff. And we, I think we had a little bit of fog. Yes. I think we had a fog machine going on too. Um, just a little one, you know, but, mm -hmm. but just enough to add to it. And 
Uh, and then, you know, with the lights and, and, and everything like that, it really came together because creatively you were all kind of working together to make something awesome. So yeah, check out Mob Studios in Seattle. That's where we shot that. And then um, the editing in post. So I did the editing on the video footage. Mm-hmm. And then um, Matthew's ex-wife, Maria Nesheva, mm-hmm. she did the video editing in post after that with some of the some of the footage that's added in there and stuff of the, okay. of the ocean and the mountains. And that really brings together the atmosphere of the entire thing too. Sure. So it was a lot of fun to make a lot of fun. And, um, it, no one knows this, but we also shot one at the same shoot. We, mm-hmm. we shot a video for bleeding on the horns. Oh, really? Off the delirium. Yeah. And it's the same shoot, except it's everything is red instead of blue. And it has this vintage kind of look to it. Um, and I still have the footage for that, but I'm not in the band anymore. So, probably not going to be released anytime soon, but it is, it's still, still there. If possible. <laughs> so other than the 70 tons of metal cruises, um, you've played the Prague power USA festival in Atlanta as well. Haven't you? Yes. Yeah. That's an awesome festival. And I actually played that festival twice. Okay. And the first, the first time I played it was with a band called ashes of Aries. Okay. And we played the Prague power, kickoff show I was playing guitar for them um, Ashes of Aries um, Ashes of Aries was, was with Van Williams and Matt Barlow from Ice Earth okay and Freddie Vidalis from Ice Earth so it was a it was a really cool show Charlie Honig was playing on that one too if you remember I mentioned Charlie earlier when he was touring with Gosha so that was the first time I played it second time Gosha Octavius played it and we had our snow machine stuff too. Mm-hmm. It was very fun. Yeah, the snow machine was awesome. I remember you guys were doing that in uh, Studio Seven and at Luigi's Pizza, and it's just like, and people were just like, "Oh my god, this is great!" And I remember uh, you did it for the In Dreams video, and I was at Luigi's and I saw Matthew walking around. I'm like, "Hey, did you bring the snow machine?" And he looked around because he, I guess, he wanted it to be a secret, and he like pointed upwards, and there it was up in the rafters. I'm like, "Yes!" <laughs> it's, <laughs> and it's 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 really corny to to get all excited about props and stuff, but just the fact that you guys, even though it was maybe 20 people there, or whether it's 2,000 people there, you do you did your production, and I thought that was awesome. You guys give your fans what they paid for. So, yeah. Well, thank you. You know, sometimes. It worked. Sometimes it didn't work. It depends on the size of the venue. You sure. know, there were some moments that were spinal taps. One time we <laughs> played a festival in Kelowna, in Kelowna, BC. Mm-hmm. And it was, there were a lot of issues that we ran into that night. The snow machine was the least of the worries, but it was still, it was still pretty spinal tap. I mean, <laughs> amongst like my microphone cutting out, not working and the mm-hmm. amplifiers and stuff, which, you know, it, it happens. It can always happen. But we ended up duct taping the snow machine to a ladder mm-hmm. and the promoter stood there and turned it on and off with his, with his hands because <laughs> it was the only way we could get it to work. <laughs> so the side stage, there's the promoter operating the snow machine duct taped to a ladder. <laughs> got to make it happen. got to do what you got to do, right? It was pretty funny. I mean, it was, it was, <laughs> the venue was so small that it ended up pretty much just blasting the person in the front row in the face. And, nice. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that was the extent of it. 
All right, we're going to go ahead and start uh, winding this down. Is there uh, any people you want to thank or any kudos and shout outs you'd like to give? Sure. Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, thank you for putting this together. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate it. And um, also, you know, thank you to everyone who enjoyed Ghost Ship's music and also enjoys my music. You know, now being out of Ghost Ship, it's kind of a new thing for me. And I'm, I'm building something new from the ground up, basically, you know, so I appreciate everyone who's out there and keeps the music scene alive by, um, by enjoying and, and participating in these things. And, you know, even just listening, it's a big, big deal, mm-hmm. a really big deal. So thank you all. And, uh, where can people find you out on the internet, YouTube or social medias or whatever? Yeah. Well, there's YouTube, um, Facebook, Instagram, I have a Twitch now, and I have my website. My website is www.adonefanion.com. Um, so it's A-D-O-N-S-A-N-I-O-N.com. Pretty much any time I release something new, it's up on there. You can also check stuff out on Spotify, iTunes, all of that. Just type in my name. Mm-hmm. Um, and all, all of that's available. So if you, if you want to stay in touch, I would say the best way is to go to my website and download one of my songs for free. Entirely free. You just type in your email address, and um, I'll email the MP3 to you. And that's the best way to stay in touch because then um, I'll have you on my mailing list. And and uh, anytime I do something new, I'll just reach out to you. And the great thing about <clears throat> excuse me, the great thing about being on your mailing list is that it doesn't feel spammy. So you'll send something out like, "Here's what I'm working on. Please check it out." As opposed to, "Hey, we have a pandemic going on. Buy this for fifty percent off." So I really appreciate. Yeah. I really appreciate you. <laughs> writing out your newsletters and your, your, you know, whatever it is you're, you're releasing as if you were writing it from a fan's point of view and put that's not going to get aggravated or aggro. And then you're like, Oh, not this again, but I look forward to getting, well, thank you, Mike. I look forward to getting your emails and, and it's like, I like the, the drawing that you sent over the first time, like, Hey, this is what I'm working on. And then the video you sent. And then there was another uh, message you sent out about the, you know, the music video you put out, uh, called, you know, the quarantine music collaboration. So that was kind of cool. So, Thank you for that, Mike. I, I really appreciate that. That's great feedback because I do think about those things a lot and not feeling spammy and trying to give something give something to people that they'll have value in, you know, and they'll take something out of it. Hopefully. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for, you know, sitting down for me with me for the last hour or so, just talking and reminiscing about everything that's been going on. You know, I really do appreciate it. I wish you a lot of great success with the, whatever you're putting out next. And I look forward to hearing what you come up with. So thank you very much, Mike. Once again, I really appreciate you. All right. Thank you very much. And you have yourself an awesome day. You too.